0: Good morning. I have the privilege and the honor of introducing Dr. Otis Pickett. Um, I met Otis, uh, I guess a little over a year ago uh, when he contacted me to get involved in a conference and um, anyway, have just enjoyed my friendship with him. And um, anyway, so I have the privilege of introducing him. Uh, Otis Pickett, uh, Dr. Pickett, uh, is a South Carolinian uh, native. Uh, He received his bachelor's degree. Yes, yes, yes. He's a true southerner, I can say. Uh, He received his history degree from Clemson, Um, he earned his um uh, masters uh, at Covenant Seminary, um, as well as University of Charleston, uh, and has awarded his uh, doctorate from the University of Mississippi, which is where hard reason why we're so connected, because that's where I finished up as well. Well, he teaches classes on U.S. history, Southern religious history, Mississippi history. He's an avid reader, writer, film buff, um, and has written extensively on issues related to race in the church, particularly in the PCA. Um, he has written articles for the Clarion Ledger, reference Formation 21. He has also been a contributor at for RAN, RAN, as well as a chapter contributor for Heal Us Emmanuel. Uh, he is a dedicated father of three, a husband um, to Julie, uh, and is a member of Redeemer PCA in Jackson, Mississippi. He will also be part of our guest speakers uh, for Constitution Day, which will be tonight at the Kirk, which I really encourage you to attend. I think it's so important, particularly in this time, to be um, there at their talk. Uh, where he'll be talking about issues related to criminal justice, uh, but particularly the work he, along with Dr. Alexander, have been involved in at Parchman Prison, uh, which uh, they've been established what is known as the prison-to-college pipeline. So I would encourage all of you to be there. I think it's essential. But no further ado, let me introduce our speaker, Dr. Otis Pickett.
1: How are y'all doing? my mic on? No? Is that good, Will? Okay. Um, I first want to pull what I'm going to call the Alexander Yoon. I don't know if y'all know who that is or not. He's the last moderator of the General Assembly. And uh, before he did that, he took a selfie of him and the whole General Assembly. So if that, is that okay with everyone if I could do that real quick? Okay, can everybody like wave? Ready? Go. All right. All right. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I, I did want to uh, thank you for having me today. I was supposed to come uh, last year, and uh, I apologize we weren't able to make it. Um, we were going through a lot with our youngest daughter, Sadie Margaret Pickett, who I came to talk to you about today. Um, and I'm going to use the scripture our pastor preached at her funeral service, which is uh, 2 Samuel 13 or 2 Samuel 12. So if you want to open your Bibles or click on your I- iPhones and pull out a Bible, we're going to uh, read Second Samuel 12, and then I will go from there. <clears throat> I want us to see, one, David's understanding of uh, life, his understanding of death, and his understanding of the life to come. So those are kind of the three key, key things I'm going to walk us through today. This is from Second Samuel 12. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted, and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him, to raise him up from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. And then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that my child might live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So I wanted to share with you a little bit what I kind of uh, David's pasture uh, posture in life. Two years ago, this, this spring, my wife and I found out our fourth child was coming, which is a w- really wonderful event, especially when you don't have rooms for them in your house. And you, how, how are we going to make this work? But we, we figured we'd find a place. And uh, the pregnancy was going along great. Uh, she was about 20 weeks, and we found out we were having a baby girl. And we were really excited to name her after her, her grandmother, Peggy. And, uh, and we found out in December that my wife's, she was leaking amniotic fluid, which at that point in the baby's development, The babies need the amniotic fluid to breathe in for their lungs to develop. And we came back from Christmas, and my wife started having labor contractions. And we went to the hospital, and she started going into labor. And Sadie Margaret was about uh, 24 weeks old at this point. Um, She was about a little over a pound. um, When she was delivered, she kind of looked... They took my wedding ring and put it around her arm. It was an amazing thing to see. Um, She was here. Our church was um, praying earnestly for her birth and for her delivery. Um, But as you know, coming out at 24 weeks, uh, there's very little chance of survival. Jackson, Mississippi actually has the highest premature birth rate in the country Um, And so we have some of the most amazing doctors and great health care. And I just wanted you to know, we were absolutely surrounded by love and care, not just from the body of Christ locally in Jackson, but from thousands of churches, really, around the world, of people praying for our family and surrounding us in prayer. And this passage was so crucial to Julie. Julie's my wife. Julie and I's process in terms of going through this, and we just decided we're going to pray. We're going to go to the hospital. There were very few nights that we slept. Uh, we had three other children as well. Um, we, we attempted uh, pleading on her behalf. We even invited our elders. These are, oh, well, that's me and Sadie Margaret. <laughs> that's her at about 26 weeks. Um, that's my daughter, Martha Jane. Martha Jane is uh, reaching in and holding her hand and praying over her little sister. And these are our uh, elders who came into the NICU and and we asked them to come and and lay hands on the incubator and the hospital allowed us to do that. And as they were laying on hands, um, I started to realize that God was doing something bigger with Sadie Margaret than what Julie and I thought at the time. The elders began to pray, and they began to pray for her and her health. And then they started looking around the room and praying for some of the other babies whose parents weren't there. A lot of babies in Jackson, in the hospital, the parents don't come and visit them. And so they began to pray for these children and uh, pray for us and pray for the hospital. and They were praying for the nurses And nurses were being moved. And doctors were being moved. And I just saw God moving and working so powerfully in the the life of this helpless, sick, weak little baby. It was a powerful thing to watch. Uh, From this point, um, about six times from here until the next August, we got called up to the hospital in the middle of the night saying she's not going to make it. Y'all need to come up here. And so we would go up and... um, Julie and I would just pray on the way and we'd get there and we'd be praying over incubator and every time, y'all, God sustained her life. Every single time. The doctors had no clue how she was able to live. August of 2016, I was taking my children, our three children to the beach and, um, uh, to visit their grandparents and Julie called me. She said, you need to come to the hospital. The doctors are saying, we're at the end. And we came and um, one of the doctors even, uh, we were kind of known as like the pro-life couple in the hospital. <laughs> and uh, one of the doctors said, you know, this is really cruel what you're doing to your daughter. You need to, you need to pull the, the plug. And, um, and Julie and I said, you know, as, as long as she's fighting and struggling, we're going to want to give her a chance. We got called before what Julie and I call the uh, <laughs> healthcare tribunal, which is a bad term, but a bunch of doctors basically sat us down uh, for three or four hours once a month and just went over and over how she's not going to live, what we're doing to her life by sustaining her life, and that we really needed to let go. And we said, you know, as we hear that. We understand what you're saying. But as long as she's fighting, we want to help her fight. And I want to be able to look my daughter in the eyes on the other side of glory and say, we did everything we could. And um, wouldn't you know it, God did a work in August of 2016. We tried this experimental medicine that had not even approved by the FDA. And the very doctor who said we should let her go, his care and treatment allowed her to live. And she got strong, and she got big. And that's her on her breathing machine. Um, And that's her in December of 2016, she got to come home. That was a a celebration day. Um, We got to bring her out of the hospital and bring her home to be with her family. She got strong, she came home, she got to sit at the dinner table go on walks in the neighborhood like get on a little mat and play with her brothers and we got to feed her applesauce and her first birthday we got to give her some um icing from her cake it was such a sweet time such a sweet time we even had um in may of 20 um, i'm sorry in the spring of 2017 we uh asked our church if we could do a baptism and uh she had to go back and forth to the hospital many times. And every time we scheduled a baptism, she'd have to go back to the hospital like the day before. And so we got to the point where we were like causing many theological crises in our presbytery <laughs> because we're like, our church wanted to come to the, uh, have an open public baptism in the hospital. I'm like, you can't really do that in a NICU. And um, so we just prayed she would get better. And... Uh, Ah. that's us at home I'm supposed to point it that way right Will that's our pastor Albert McGowan at the covenant baptism my daughter Sadie Margaret in May of 2017 it was the most beautiful day if y'all ever want to watch it I've I've created a little YouTube channel and all it has on it is her baptism and another clip if you ever want to watch it it's one of the most powerful things I've ever seen Um, and then that May, Sadie Margaret started to decline, and um, she started to have really bad brain spasms, her lungs weren't working, Um, and in uh, June, um, we had to start giving her medicines. Toward the end of her life, she was on about 25 different medicines a day, keeping her alive, and finally, she just kind of let us know, I'm not breathing as much, and we said goodbye to her on, uh, on June 8th, and um, she breathed her last breath. My wife was holding her, and our assistant pastor said, I love this image of Julie holding Sadie Margaret and handing her off to Christ at his throne. She breathed her last breath. I want you to know that my wife and I see God's hand and His sovereignty all over this situation. From how He sustained her to how He raised up the body of Christ to care for us and love us, to even the week of her death, my children were all away at a camp, and that has never happened before. (laughs) All three of our children were away from the home. So we got to kind of prepare what that was going to be like to share with them when they got back that their sister had gone. But he gave time for Julie and us to think and prepare for a funeral. And uh, I looked at David. And it says David went and washed himself. He changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what we did. We went to Redeemer and we worshipped for about two and a half hours. I cannot explain to you the peace and the comfort we felt in the midst of that. I still was just talking to Alicia. I can't begin to explain the peace and the love of Christ and the love of God surrounding us. And I want you to know, a lot of people came around us, and especially my wife, and said, how, did y'all, how have y'all done this the last two years? My wife was in the hospital every single day from nine to four. And I looked at him and Julie and I said, listen, this is not anything we have done. We've been angry. We've been bitter. We've questioned and we've doubted. And throughout this entire time, God gripped us. And He held us. And He allowed us to grieve. And He allowed us to be angry. And in the midst of all this, He held on to us and He said, I'm not going to let you go. And what I want you to understand and what I think David gets so well is that God is about his children. And he is about using the weakest and the smallest to display his power and his might and his majesty such that it brings a very king to his knees. Psalm 8 says there is power and strength and majesty in our children. And God has a heart for our children and He uses our children in the lives of the body. And I'm telling you, God used this little baby girl to knit our church together in a way that I've never seen. To knit the body of Christ. My wife would post something on Facebook to share, and it would 500 people would share it. And people were praying for us from all over the country and even the world. God was using this little baby to tell the brightest and the smartest medical doctor in Jackson, Mississippi, she's not on your timetable. This baby is on my timetable. And I will display my power and my authority and my glory and my goodness through her when I will and how I will. I know there are a lot of people who probably question, why are y'all worshiping? Why are y'all having this huge worship Celebration at her funeral. Why are you sharing this today? I would point them to David. David in verse 23 says, I shall go to him. I think David glimpsed something beautiful. His vision was beyond Jerusalem. He knew that God's kingdom was going to come. And I love this passage in John, and it really, reading it in a new light now, makes it all the more powerful. In John 14, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. and Where I go, you know, and the way you know. So Sadie Margaret, she's experiencing glory and perfection in a room that Christ has made for her. And I'm going to get to see her again. And guess what? It makes me long and hope that day when Christ comes back in a whole new way. David says, I shall go to him. Sadie's life has taught me a great deal. One, I want to just share with you a few things. Sadie taught me to slow down. She taught me to breathe. That every breath is important. Not to rush to the next thing, but to realize, God, where you are, in whatever circle of influence and where your people are, that God has put you in that space for a purpose. Sit in that space and be with those people you're with and don't rush to get to the next thing. He also taught me that He he chooses, God chooses whom He wills to display His power. And there's nothing I can do about that. And ladies and gentlemen, that is a very freeing thing. It is a very freeing thing that we can rest, we can trust, we can have loyalty and fealty for our King. It also taught me, she also taught me not to worry about being a big deal. Y'all know what I mean by that, right? She taught me that it's more important to be here with me, Mom, Dad. It's more important to be here with Mommy. It's more important that you're a big deal to my brothers and sisters than you are to the world. Care for your families, care for your brothers and sisters. And that is a very freeing thing, too. And I want to encourage you as God has you here, it's very simple He has you here to study. Study hard. He has you here in a community. Love each other. Care for each other. Love your community. Don't worry about being a big deal. That will come. Study hard. Love each other. God wants you to be simple. He wants his yoke to be easy. i have also been reading some uh, 17th century Scottish Presbyterians, right, as all normal people do. And uh, in the 17th century, uh, the church was much more accustomed to death of children. And in Scotland in the 17th century, there was a, a pastor named Samuel Rutherford. And Samuel Rutherford wrote a letter to a mother who had just experienced a loss of their daughter. And this is what he wrote. He said, grace rooteth out, not the affections of a mother, but putteth them on his wheel, who maketh all things new. That they may be refined, therefore sorrow for a dead child is allowed to you. Though by measures and ounce weights the redeemed of the Lord have not a dominion or lordship over their sorrow and other affections to lavish out Christ's goods at their pleasure. He commandeth you to weep. In that princely one who took up to heaven with him a man's heart to be a compassionate high priest, the cup ye drink was at the lip of sweet Jesus, and he also drank of it. You are not to think of it a bad bargain for your beloved daughter that she died. She hath gold for copper and brass, eternity for a time. The good husbandman, and this is, I love this too. A husbandman is like a landholder, a farmer. And he says, the good husbandman may pluck his roses and gather, gather his lilies at midsummer. And for aught I dare say, in the beginning of the first summer month, and he may transplant young trees out of the lower ground to the higher, where they may have more of a sun and more of a free air at any season of the year at his choosing. The goods are his own. The creator of time and winds did a merciful injury to nature in landing the passenger so early. What a beautiful picture of this world being God's vineyard and he takes home whom he wills and he'll move whom he wills up to higher fields or lower fields for his own glory. And that he has my Sadie Margaret, a beautiful flower in his garden, And she's bringing him glory. One last thing I wanted to share with you is um, from Charles Spurgeon's book. If y'all are going through a difficult time, I would just encourage you, Besides Still Waters, Words of Comfort for the Soul by Charles Spurgeon. And he wrote on page 119, he says, Why this constant thinning of the ranks when the warfare is so difficult? why are the finest removed i am sad i could best express myself in a flood of tears as i survey the newly dug graves but i restrain myself and look on it in a clearer light the master is gathering his ripest fruit and well does he deserve them he is putting his apples of gold in settings of silver when we realize that it is the Lord who desires them to be with Him, it dries our tears and makes us rejoice. We are no longer bewildered because we now understand the dearest and the best are going home. I'd just like to close saying thank you for having me today. Thank you for allowing me to share my story of Sadie Margaret if there's anything you can take from this, I pray as I, was reading, as I was driving in, I saw your sign about Christ being preeminent. May Christ be preeminent in your lives. May you see that He was preeminent in my daughter's life. May He be preeminent in yours. And I'm thinking now of the great hymn in Christ alone, that last stanza. No guilt in life. No fear in death. That is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry till final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Let me pray for us. Dear Holy Father, God, I do thank you for this time. Thank you for these students. Uh, Lord, would you please use Sadie Margaret's life and story to help them love you more today? to help them slow down to help them care for those among them lord would you even point them to your son our savior using the preaching through this little girl lord help them love you and soften their hearts so that they may love jesus give their lives to him and do your will god we thank you bless them as they study bless them in their careers Bless them in their families and bless them as they go to love and serve the church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Praise God from
1: whom.